Good morning, everybody. Things are going to get a little bit heavy kind of quick, so I thought I would start us off on the lighter side. Does anybody recognize these people? Right? Princess Bride? Yeah. Anybody got a favorite or most memorable quote from the Princess Bride? I can't lift. I'm your wife. <laughs> <laughs> Done. <laughs> I didn't realize we were going to get them done in character. That's awesome. <laughs> That's phenomenal. Hello, my name is Inigo Montoya. If you kill my father, prepare to die. <laughs> so there's lots of. Uh, there's, I actually went into YouTube, and there's video after video after video of compilation of Princess Bride, most memorable quotes. But um, as I was thinking about this week and the topic of our conversation, the one that jumped out to my mind was, life is pain, Highness. And if anyone tells you differently, they're trying to sell you something. Right? It's Wesley talking to, to Princess Buttercup. And it's a little bit of, um, you know, it's a dramatic scene. It's overplayed but it's supposed to be, but we get the idea, right? Pain and suffering and hardship are there at every turn. Some of us are in the middle of those moments right now. Some of those moments come about as the result of other people's thoughts and actions and decisions. Some of those moments come about because of our own, they're self-inflicted, our thoughts and actions and decisions. Some of them we just can't figure out. There's no apparent reason. But unfortunately, none of us get through life unscathed. Experience tells us that. Jesus himself tells us, in this world you will have trouble. Of course, the ending of that verse, take heart, I have overcome the world. So as we think, we're in the middle of this teaching series called Live No Lies. And I told this week the big lies that, that hit differently. And the, kind of our, our ongoing premise is that there are three enemies of our soul. And I kind of warned us, right, that some of these might feel a little cringy to our modern ears. And we've been talking about the devil. And in a modern society, talking about a supernatural creature like the devil could be like, really? But the first one is the devil, the second one is the flesh, and the third one is the world. And they conspire. They work together. Um, and this is the, the premise of John Mark Comer, whose book this teaching series is based on. Deceptive ideas play to disordered desires which are normalized in a sinful society. And Jesus called the devil the father of lies. He said his native language is lies. So the deceptive ideas come from the devil. And last week, we talked about these two kind of big overarching lies that in my opinion, all the other lies stem from. And the first one is, you are not who God says you are. And the second one is, God is not who he says he is. And we talked about how we can fight those and how Jesus fought them and, and how we can model that, that battle plan. Um, but the, today, we're going to take a look at how pain creates in our hearts a fertile ground for these personalized lies that can come at us hard and hit differently. So we're gonna do a little um, background work to kind of lay the foundation of this. And the first thing I would say is this, that is Satan is real, he's intelligent, and he's a spiritual being, but he is very unoriginal. He takes what God does 
God's beautiful creation, and he twists it, and he distorts it, and he offers a counterfeit version of it. So through the life and teachings of Jesus and, and the apostles and the prophets, we have a theology of suffering, a spirituality of suffering. But um, Satan also has one. And this is from a book called Transforming Fellowship. And it, it wasn't written for this purpose, but I've taken it and I've co-opted it for this purpose. This is Satan's theology of suffering. I often, this is written like I'm saying this, I often feel punished by God when things go wrong. I work hard to avoid things going wrong in my life. When I'm in pain, I simply want to make it stop because I see no value in pain. The, the fertile ground that is our heart when we get roughed up by whatever means, I, I, this just sounds like common sense to me, right? That's the tricky part about the devil's lies is that they're deceptive. For us, this is common sense. Yeah, of course I want it to stop. Then there's the real deal, right? There's, there's Jesus' offering. And Anya, if did those hand out, handouts go out? There's um, a handout that goes along with this. I don't know. There's like maybe 10, 12, 15 different verses that I went through, and I put this together. They're written on this page in the notes section of the, um, the sermon notes section of the website. You can click on them, and it'll bring you to Bible Gateway, and they're all there for you. But it says this. In Jesus, we are never alone in our pain. He is with us. His people are with us. There is hope in pain. There is help in suffering. There is no trial or hardship that is wasted. Ultimately, in Jesus, there is an eternity that is free from pain. It provides a much different backdrop than that theology of suffering that the world gives us, that Satan gives us, that says there's no good that can come of this. Avoid it at all costs. So how, um, the last thing in there is that there's an eternity with Jesus free from pain. Eternity can, can feel a long way off. So how do we navigate our way from now through life into eternity with Jesus? And the first thing we need to get our, our minds around is the uniqueness of us as humanity. Our part in the cosmos, we are uniquely created with the ability to formulate ideas. Something can transpire in our mind, and then we have the, the ability to make it a reality in 3D or 4D. What is it, 3D? Um, for good or for bad. Anybody know who John Montague is? I'm going to give it away when I give you his title. He's the Earl of Sandwich. He was like a, a, a card player to the point like he had an addiction to playing cards and he would refuse to leave the table. So he wanted food, and he wanted food he didn't need silverware for, and he wanted food that he could still keep playing cards. Two pieces of bread, some meat, sandwich. Beautiful, beautiful thing created in somebody's mind and then made reality. Anybody know who Robert Oppenheimer is? It's called the father of the atomic age. Ran the Los Alamos project, invented the atomic bomb. He called himself the destroyer of worlds. Right? We have the ability to take what's in our mind and to make it real. So this is from um, John Mark Comer's book. The idea that um, Dallas Willard called ideas are assumptions about reality. 
and this is John Mark Homer referring to Dallas Willard. It's kind of a little bit long, but it's worth it, so hang in there. As Willard once said, we truly live at the mercy of our ideas because the ideas that we believe in our minds then let into our bodies give shape to the trajectory of our souls. Put another way, they shape how we live and who we become. When we believe truth, that is, ideas that correspond to reality, we show up to reality in such a way that we flourish and thrive. We show up to our bodies, to our sexuality, to our interpersonal relationships, and above all, to God himself in a way that is congruent with the creator's wisdom and good intentions for his creation. As a result, we tend to be happy. But when we believe lies, ideas that are not congruent with the reality of God's wise and loving design, and then tragically open our body to those lies and let them into our muscle memories, we allow an ideological cancer to infect our souls. We live at odds with reality, and as a result, we struggle to thrive because reality does not adjust itself to our illusions. Ideas take root in our minds. They get lived out in our body, and they become our experience. Our ability to identify lies, false assumption at reality. I cannot think of anything more important, more necessary, more critical as we strive to grow in relationships with Jesus, as we continue to want to discover the truth about who, who he is, how he works, who we are. We have to be able to sift through those lies to discover his truth and then live out of that truth. So what does this look like? A guy by the name of Dr. Marcus Warner came up with this. I've shared this with you guys before uh, and kind of just in passing in other conversations, but I want to spend a little bit more time on it today. Um, the acronym WLVS, Wounds, Lies, Vows, Strongholds. Like we said, all of us, none of, none of us escape life unscathed, right? We're all subject to pain and hardship and trial and suffering. Dr. Warner tells us that there are three different kinds. There's the absence of good things, there's the presence of bad things, and then there's the pain of comparison and perception. And I'm going to give examples of each one of those in a little bit, but just pain comes in a couple of different forms, and it creates these wounds. The, the, the wounds themselves are not what mess with us. It's what we believe about them. It's the importance that we give to them. It's the lies that Satan will take and twist to try to get at us through those wounds. You can have people who have very similar experiences, but their lived out realities are very different because of the way they respond to them and because of what they believe about them. Does that make sense? It's those lies that give the wounds their lasting power and their, their ability to mess with us. A vow is something that our flesh does, right? If you notice the pattern, wounds come from the world, Lies come from our flesh, us. And then, um, sorry, lies come from the devil, and then vows come from our flesh. Those three enemies, they're right there in this pattern. We make a commitment. I got hurt because I got hurt. I feel this way. I don't like to feel this way. I am never going to do X again, or I am always going to do Y. We make a vow to protect ourselves. It's a, a thing about self-preservation. And then if that goes on long enough, it becomes a stronghold. It's an area that we don't let God into. We don't pray about. We don't ask for help. We don't share with other people. We are just committed to not feeling that terrible feeling, and we do anything and everything we can. That's 
That's the vow. So the lies can be a little bit tricky, right? Because I said devil's deceptive. You can tell a lie from the truth because of the thoughts and the actions that it promote, right? If you have a thought or an action, especially that if it's recurring, that promotes sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft. Think about idolatry and witchcraft. Yeah, like actually casting a spell, that kind of stuff. But idolatry and witchcraft is turning to any other source of power than God, right? To kind of like, there are people who practice dark arts and that kind of thing, but this is, I think, more common is when we turn to other things for power. Uh, Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. If you have a thought that produces these follow-up thoughts or these actions, it's a lie that you need to pay attention to. Okay? All right, so... absence of good things we get a wound by an absence of a good thing if you had to as a as a child if you had to become a parent or a caretaker of an adult or of other children at a young age at too young an age for whatever reason a parent that struggles with addiction a parent that was ill a parent that was there physically but not really engaged, the absenteeism, that can inflict a wound, right? And, and the lie is, is that I have to be the one to take care of everybody. And if something goes wrong, it's my fault. I screwed up. And the vow can go one of two ways. Obviously, I can't take care of everybody, so I'm going to check out and I'm going to isolate myself and I just won't deal with people. Or I'm going to die trying to fix everything and everybody and keep everybody happy. So the stronghold can become isolation. The other side of that is it can become perfectionism. Right? That's an example of the absence of a good thing. A wound that comes from the presence of a bad thing. Um, and this one is specifically like my story. I have, there's a lot of me in that first one too, but this um, years of hardship and struggle, hardship and struggle, um, some big, some small, but just wound after wound after wound. You get to the point where like, I, um, God is God. So if all this stuff keeps happening, I must, I must deserve it. I must have screwed up somewhere along the line. And this is, this is what I get. And I don't, I don't deserve good things. And so the vow is that I won't look forward to anything. Or if something good happens to slip its way in there, it's not going to last. And then the stronghold just becomes despair. The last one is um, the wound of comparison. And that can be a comparison to other people, right? Siblings comparing, 
or somebody you see on Instagram. It could be a comparison of um, our perception of reality, right? I said comparison and perception, or our perception of God. God should do X, or God shouldn't do Y. That's the, um, the comparison. That's kind of the definition. So the wound might be, I didn't get the job I thought I should get. I didn't get into the school I wanted to get into. I don't have the relationship that I think I should have. My perception of reality is that those are good things, and God should give me those good things. God didn't give me those good things, so he can't be trusted. The stronghold becomes a lack of faith. Absence of good things, presence of bad things, comparison and perception. The wound, the lie, the vow, the stronghold. So like I said, Satan counterfeits everything. That Satan's plan of attack, WLVS, God's plan, the way that he wants to work in and through us, wounds, truth, submit, and grow. The wounds are still there, right? We, we talked about that. Instead of believing the father of lies, we will believe God the Father. We will believe when his word tells us he will never leave us or forsake us. We will believe when he says that he can take even the hardest things and bring good from them. We will believe that we are not alone in our suffering, that we have brothers and sisters who will extend themselves, who will put themselves in harm's way for us when we need them to. The truth takes the place of the lie. And in turn, instead of making a vow that we will wrest control from God, we submit to him. We submit to his will and his ways because he is good and he is kind and he is for us and he is with us. And then, ultimately, instead of a stronghold where nothing good happens, we close ourselves off, we grow. And how do we know that we're growing? We see the presence of something called the fruit of the Spirit, Love, joy, peace, forbearance, sometimes called patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. We see the fruit of the Spirit begin to rise up in us. God's plan versus Satan's plan. So how do we break free from those lies and those vows and those strongholds? I've been trying to, um, I've been trying to give you just one thing each week. Because God provides lots of weapons, lots of ammunition for us to combat these things with. And we talked about scripture last time and scripture memorization. So this is scripture part two, right? We're going to see why it's important to memorize scripture. And I got this idea from, a, uh, from this verse in 2 Corinthians. It says, the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. Not guns, not knives, not bombs, not tanks, not planes. On the contrary, we have divine power to demolish strongholds. The weapons that God gives us, his Bible primarily, his, the ability to communicate with him, the body of Christ, our brothers and sisters. We, have, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. That means any thought that temporarily derails God's work in our lives. Right? We want to grab hold of that. And we want to replace, we want to replace the lie with God's truth. Replace the lie with God's truth. 
And so here's like a quick little thumbnail sketch of how you might be able to do this. A couple of summers ago, I spent some time with a spiritual director. She's an incredibly, incredibly wise woman. And a spiritual director is basically somebody who helps you listen to God and, and can point out to things like, well, did you hear what you just said? Say it again. And I, you'll say it and be like, oh. She's like, well, what do you think God might be trying to say to you in that? She's not, not a counselor, not a therapist, just somebody that helps you listen to God. And during that summer, my cravings were crazy, right? Sweet tooth, extra glass of wine, mindless scrolling. Like I couldn't, like it was just, it was bad. And so I was talking to her, I'm like, my cravings are like really getting the better of me. She's like, well, why don't you just start by noticing them with Jesus? Right, so in, in the terms of taking every thought captive, if there is a thought that, number one, if it, it, repetitive, and it makes you angry, sad, desperate, makes you do dumb things, bring it to Jesus right away. Jesus, here, here's this thing, here's this thought. Jesus, I feel like I deserve this terrible run, this th these things that have happened to me. And then write it down. There's a, there's, kinesthetically, there's something that happens when we take something from our brain and we put it on a piece of paper. And then scour the Bible for God's truth. If you are new to the Bible, if you don't have a church background, um, there's a wonderful little book called The Concordance. And if you, like, if you're dealing with anger, right, you can look up the word anger and it will list verses. Another great resource are your elders and pastors. Another great resource is your friends, your people who invited you here, right? The, the volunteer leaders at Crossroads can help you. If like you come to them like, man, I am just, this negative self-talk that goes on in my brain is just getting the better of me. Well, how about you read this psalm? The psalmist struggled, struggled with negative self-talk. Oh, my soul, why are you so disturbed within me? Scour God's Bible and look for the truth that counteracts the lie and then memorize it, right? That's why I started there with the memorization, right? We memorize these bits of truth and when we need them, the Holy Spirit will bring them back. On the, the handouts, there's just a simple little graph. Sometimes all we need is some kind of format to get, to get this started. I tend to be not this linear, so mine doesn't look anything like this. It's on diagonals and up and side down and backwards. Um, but use, use that, right? If there's a thought, if there's a lie that Satan is trying to use to get you, write it down. And then find that truth in God's word and write it down and memorize it. And we replace it. Dr. Warner gives this great example of if you are just constantly thinking about pink elephants wearing green booties, and you're like, don't think about pink elephants wearing green boots. Don't think, don't, don't. It becomes self-fulfilling. All you can think about is elephants and booties. You replace it with something. Think about polar bears waltzing on icebergs, right? Polar bears, what, like, and then you replace, you replace that thought. So we want to be a little bit more productive than polar bears on icebergs. We want God's word to replace the lies of Satan. Um, I know this, this is hard. Right? This is material ideas that are not meant to be dealt with alone. 
if anything I said stirred anything up in you, um, come talk to me. Come talk to Leanne or Ben or Stacy or, or Carrie or just let us know what's going on and let us help point you to the truth of God. I, um, at a, a phone conversation yesterday with a friend um, and I said something just kind of off the cuff and it was, you know, self-deprecating, like whatever's worse than self-deprecating about something about me. And uh, he just w went on for like 20 minutes, just like correcting me and loving me and appreciating me and reminding me of the truth. We're not meant to do this alone, right? So um, if this got some juices going, please let, let one of us know, and we would be happy to, to walk it with you. So um, next week, Ben is going to reflect upon his thoughts. He's going to share some of his thoughts with us about these lies and, and how they come after us. And um, the week after that, we are going to wrap up. We're going to have a, a whole session just on the battle plan, just on the tools that God has given for us and how we submit to God. And we, with that, we can resist the devil and he will flee from us. And then the following week, we um, look at the second enemy of the soul, which is the flesh. And we'll kind of be the introductory into, into that aspect of it. All right, let me pray. Jesus, thank you that you are the truth. Thank you that you never leave us alone, especially in our pain. Of all, I think of all the scripture, how you're close to the brokenhearted. You never leave us or forsake us. You invite us to draw near to you. What a comfort that is, Jesus. For those of us who are in the middle of this stuff and words can just feel empty, Spirit, I ask that you would move right now and that you would be a very real present help and comfort to each person. Thank you that we can turn to you. Thank you that we can turn to each other. Thank you for the gift of your word that reminds us of the truth. Jesus, we want to live like people of truth. Would you help us do that? We love you and we thank you.